Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. And thank you for joining us in worship this morning. A bit of transparency before I begin. I want to just admit that this season of disruption and change, it has been difficult for me to navigate as a pastor. And I know I'm not the only pastor saying that. A lot of pastors that I speak to are experiencing some of the same challenges. I know for me, what's hard about being a pastor in this season is that when it comes to the local congregation, our church, it's hard for me to know who's coming and who's going to really know what's happening in the life of the people of God. Because pre-COVID, I saw you more frequently. Somehow we could be more in touch with each other in real time. But I'm grateful to God for leaders from our Discipleship Council and our Community Life and Pastoral Care Council who are working on creating pathways and systems that will help us connect more effectively with each other. But in the meantime, I need a favor from you, and I need a favor from you this morning, right now. I'm asking you, would you kindly, if you haven't already, complete that virtual attendance card that is found in the chat. I want you to click it, I want you to fill it out, put your name in, if you're a visitor, if you're a member, I want you to complete that card and let us know that you're here. And here's why that's important. Not only does it let us know that you're here, but you also have a box at the bottom where you can fill in any comments or prayer requests or needs that you might be dealing with so that we can be more aware of what's happening 
in our congregation. We're a scattered congregation. We're a virtual congregation. We're still the church, but it's just a little bit dicier now to figure out what's going on with God's people. So if you could do that, I would really appreciate it. So today brings us to the end of our fall campaign, where we've been talking about filled up and poured out. And from September 13th to today, October the 11th, we've asked you to view your life before God as a channel of blessing, as a conduit of blessing. So the idea is that God is pouring into your life all of the blessings that God has given you and God doesn't want us then to collect all those blessings like the Dead Sea. Comes in, it never goes out. That's not healthy. God wants us to be more like the Jordan River. God pours his blessing into us and as a conduit, it pours out in service and in blessing to others. And everything in our path, everything before us gets blessed because of the way in which we allow our lives to be a channel of blessing to others. And during this past five or six Sundays, we were encouraging you in these various ways to love God. We encouraged you to love the body of Christ. We encouraged you to serve the body of Christ. We encouraged you to love your neighbor. And today, as we wrap up this, this uh, series and this campaign, we're asking you to love the other or love the stranger or, God forbid, love your enemy. You know, it's difficult. After spending five, six weeks talking about Romans 12, it's difficult to know outcomes. What are the results? After six weeks immersed in Scripture in Romans 12, What's going on? Has anything shifted in your life or in my life? And I don't know how much I can add to today's reading. It is like the nose on your face. It is so crystal clear. It is so precise. It is so on point that there's a sense in which I can't add anything to it. But here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you in these ways. So Thomas Merton that uh, theologian, author, Trappist monk, he's no longer alive, he once said these words, something that I hold near and dear to my heart. He said, the first quality of a good reader is humility. Think about that. The first quality of a good reader is humility. These simple, powerful words that we're reading in Romans 12, 14 through 21, will be of no value to us if we do not adopt a posture of humility as we come to these texts, uh, that, that we do not have this willingness to examine our lives, to examine our relationships with others, if we do not come with this, this attitude of humility and repentance as we come to the scriptures, they will not do us any good. So what I'm asking you to do, not just in this moment, but even in the days to come as you read and reread these passages, that you will come as one who is sitting under the word. It's like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, receiving from Jesus. I want you to come sitting under the word, not above the word, but let the word of God search us. Let the word of God know us. Let the word of God examine us to see if there is any errant way 
within us. And I think, I believe with all my heart that if we come before God trembling with humility at his word, then these words will begin to shift our lives into some new ways. So scripture has much to say about how we treat other people. I mean, that is like the bread and butter of Christianity. Christianity, maybe of all the religions in the world, is a relational religion. It's a relational um, way of following Jesus. And it's about how we treat people, how we respond to people, how we respond to the enemies that we have the way Jesus did. And so years ago, when I read the book, The Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor, Fyodor Dostoevsky, I remember reading about one of the three brothers in the story, the brother by the name of Ivan, the brainiac of the three. And he said something that I think is helpful for us this morning. He said, one can love one's neighbor in the abstract or even at a distance, but at close quarters, it is almost impossible. And of course, the irony is that to love others in the abstract is not to love them at all. Love is always at close quarters. That's what makes it so hard, makes it so messy. Love is always at close quarters. It is always an act that is realized in the concrete and often ugly particulars of life. I hear somebody saying, amen. Pastor, I know what you're talking about. So let me give you a couple stories that would illustrate what I'm talking about. Rabbi Hillel is one of the most important Jewish figures of all time. He lived and taught in Jerusalem at the time Jesus was said to be born. So here's what's cool about that. It's possible that Rabbi Hillel and Jesus were contemporaries, and Rabbi Hillel was incredibly influential. Stories of his teachings and his commentaries and his parables are still preserved today and are still being used today. Isn't that amazing? It's possible, maybe even likely, that this, this story of Rabbi Hillel was familiar to Jesus, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Here's how the story goes. So a Gentile came to Rabbi Hillel one day and said to him, if you can teach me the whole of Torah while standing on one leg, I will convert and become a Jew. Rabbi Hillel, who is always ready for a challenge, did stand on one leg, and this is what he said. That which is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole of Torah. Now, Jesus said a similar thing, but he said it in a positive way, didn't he? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up in that. And then I read another story about the late Cardinal Bernardin when he was the Cardinal here in Chicago. About 25 years ago or more, he was accused by a young man named Stephen Cook of sexual misconduct. And in a speech given at Mundelein Seminary shortly thereafter, Cardinal, Cardinal Bernardin stood before that group of seminarians and soon-to-be priests and he shared with them how devastated he was by this charge. He was so demoralized. He was so, so traumatized that he would spend many times in a, what he called a spread eagle position on the ground, praying and begging and crying out before God because his life was so, so broken by the shame and the hurt that he felt by this accusation. 
after two agonizing months, Stephen Cook withdrew the accusation and he admitted that it was based on false memory. Now, listen to me now. Who would have blamed Cardinal Bernadine if he had said, now, now that we know the truth, I'm going to retain a lawyer, I'm going to sue Stephen Cook to kingdom come for pain and suffering and defamation of character. Who would have faulted him for wanting to do that? Isn't that the American way? But the cardinal didn't do that. Instead, he traveled to see the young man, brought him a gift of a Bible, and anointed him with oil because at that time when Cardinal Bernadine visited Stephen Cook, he was dying of AIDS. And the Cardinal offered him forgiveness and love and tenderness. And to me, that's another way of thinking about what it means to love, to love at close quarters in the messiness and the difficulties of this life. Not just tolerating your enemy, but loving your enemy the way Jesus did. Second story is also a true story. I used to live in the Newcastle area, as many of you know, in Lawrence County. And in Lawrence County, Pennsylvania, we have a lot of Am Amish uh, family members living in that area. This story, though, happened in Burn, Indiana, which if you went to Burn, Indiana and stood out in those fields and in the plains of Burn, Indiana, you would think you're standing in Lawrence County, Pennsylvania. There's this Amish family, mother, father, kids. They're making their way, as was their custom, by a horse-drawn buggy and a car filled with rowdy teenagers came up behind them and, you know, those roads are just little two-laners, so they were being very impatient, can't wait to get around the buggy. And as they, when they finally got the chance to overtake the buggy, one of the boys in the car threw a rock trying to hit the horse and missed, and the rock struck the family's newborn daughter by the name of Adeline. And it killed the child instantly. And uh, the Indiana State Police, based on the description of the vehicle given by the family, were able to find the, the car, the owner of the car. They found the four boys. And uh, at the time when they came before the judge for sentencing, the Amish family appeared in court and begged for leniency. They begged for leniency. Now, the boy who threw the rock did some jail time, but the family also went and visited the very boy who threw the stone and killed their infant, Adeline. Now, that's, that is not the way things go normally in this world. But this is what Christians do. The Bible tells us that we should love our neighbors the Bible also tells us we should love our enemies. G.K. Chesterton says probably because they're the same people. So what I'd like for you to do now, I want you to, to call to your mind an enemy. Do you have an enemy? Do you have someone in your family? It could be the person sleeping on the other side of the bed. It could be one of your children. It could be a sibling. It could be somebody who works with you at work could be a neighbor, it could be a stranger. Do you have an enemy? Do you have an ax to grind with someone? Every time you see them, your blood boils. I want you to call that person into your mind. Hold an image of that person in your mind, your mind right now. Somebody who has done you real harm. And here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to imagine 
a way to love that person, a way to heal that relationship. It might take a phone call, it might take an email, it might take a visit, it might take a gesture, it might take a face-to-face -face conversation, but I want you now to begin to imagine what it might take to, to heal the divide between you and that person who makes your blood boil, that person with whom you have some grievance. Dorothy Day famously said, I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. Now, I know that went over many of our heads. Let me say it one more time. I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. So that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to open up your heart and begin to imagine yourself being the first, not waiting for them to come, you being the first to initiate and begin to see how God could use you to heal that divide. So, I wasn't surprised, and I expected it. When I heard that President Trump tested positive for the coronavirus, I immediately said to my wife, I can guarantee you what's going to happen. A lot of people are going to come out of the woodwork celebrating, filled with delight, filled with schadenfreude, hoping that this will be the undoing of President Trump. Now, on the basis of Romans 12, 14 through 21, I'm saying to you, we as Christians should know better. I saw some of those texts and some of those statements on Twitter, and I knew it was going to happen. But this is nothing new, right? Because I remember that the same mean-spiritedness, that same mean-spirited attitude was displayed toward President and Mrs. Obama. You know it. The same mean-spiritedness was displayed to Mrs. Clinton and to so many other people with whom we disagree. But I'm saying to you this morning that we're above politics. We're kingdom people, and therefore we can do better. We, the church, should be at the head of the line. We should be the head leading, not the tail that's following. We should be examples of what the kingdom of God looks like in the world. And how we should respond with those with whom we disagree and have problems loving. So I want you then to allow these scriptures to expand your Christian imagination. That's the only way these scriptures are going to come home to us. And it's going to take humility, as Thomas Merton says, to allow these scriptures to shape our imagination so that we will even have the guts to act on them. So... Now that you have the person you don't like squarely in your view, it could be President Trump, it could be um, Joe Biden, it could be your neighbor, your loved one, your father, your mother, that person with whom you work, that person you work with. Now that you have that person squarely in mind, I want you to imagine yourself pouring out upon them Romans 12, 14 through 21. So let's just look at this now, and I want you to imagine with me you doing what the text says. So first prayer is Jesus wants you to, on the basis of verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Can you picture yourself doing that with that person you're imagining right now? Verse 15, first prayer is Jesus wants you to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
verse 16. First prayers. Jesus wants you to live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. First prayers. Jesus wants you, on the basis of verse 17, to not repay anyone evil for evil, but take, take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. My brothers and sisters, family of God at first prayers, Jesus says in verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Family of God at first prayers, Jesus says in verse 19, my beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You still have that person in your mind? Keep that picture of that person there because Jesus says, I want you to do this starting today, right here in verse 20. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will keep burning coals on their heads. Family of God at first prayers, keep the image of that person in your mind that you have ought against or they have ought against you. And Jesus finally says to us in verse 21, I want you to lead the Jesus life. Lead with the Jesus life. Verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Now, of course, you know my favorite statement, easier said than done. And the second thing I would say after saying that is, we cannot do this in our strength. But this is where we need to begin, the Christian imagination. Remember now, you're not the Dead Sea, you're a river of life, you're the Jordan River, God is pouring. Just imagine, the, the, the Jordan River literally starts way up in the mountains, like a little trickle, and it just keeps cascading down to this big, mighty Jordan River that runs the length of the Holy Land, and some of it empties out into the Dead Sea. But see yourself as that Jordan River where God is pouring his blessing into your life. And maybe the greatest blessing you and I have, the greatest thing we could ever ask for, Jesus said, is to ask for the Holy Spirit. And I love that prayer. Jesus says you must ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will, be you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Jesus says, which of you who has a father, if you ask for bread, will give you a stone? Which of you has a father that if you ask for fish, he'll give you a servant, a serpent? How much more your heavenly father who loves to give you good gifts. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, that God will give you the Holy Spirit. Because I'm telling you, you cannot do this in your strength. We need to be baptized. We need to be saturated with Jesus. 
and with the Spirit of Jesus in order to do what Romans 12, 14 through 21 is asking us to do for that person you have in your view right now. Well, I'm telling you, if we do that, we would be well on our way to shifting our lives, as Paul says, no longer living by the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can do that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And the will of God before us is found right here, that we as Christians need to lead in how we do relationships. I'm speaking to spouses today. I'm speaking to husbands. I'm speaking to wives. I'm speaking to children. I'm speaking to you and your friends. I'm speaking to you and your coworkers. I'm speaking to you and your siblings. I'm speaking to you and your neighbor. I'm speaking to you and your enemy that God is calling you to pour out the Jesus life as you relate to others around you. That's what he's calling us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people, God's people, God's people, say, Amen. Lord, let it be so.